Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The FT. Welcome to Banking Weekly with me, Brooke Masters. Joining me today are Patrick Jenkins, our banking editor, and Rachel Sanderson, the Milan correspondent. This week, we'll take a look at securitizations in which bundles of debt are sliced and diced and sold off to investors. In the U.S., issuances of collateralized debt obligations are hitting post-crisis highs, but markets continue to be anemic for other kinds of securitized debt, which is prompting a regulatory rethink. We'll also discuss the changes at Italy's largest bank, Intesa San Paolo, where the CEO quit Sunday night. And finally, we'll take a look at the Barclays rights issue and why there are so many banks listed as sponsors of this underwriting. First, let's turn to securitizations. Patrick, we're in an interesting time with this market. We are, absolutely. We had a couple of stories in Monday's paper highlighting the converging trends. So in the US, it seems like one form of securitization, the so-called collateralized loan obligation, has hit a high really since 2007. This is basically being fueled by the demand for debt, essentially, from companies. All of these credits are being repackaged in a fairly simple and arguably healthier way than they were in the pre-crisis years into these CLOs. And as I say, volumes are hitting post-crisis highs. The contrast with Europe, this is the US I was just talking about, the contrast with Europe couldn't be more stark where we're seeing generally the securitization market being at something like 11-year lows. And that in turn has prompted concern, as you said, among regulators that maybe the rule changes are going too far the international rules from the Basel Committee on Banking Supervision under what was called the Basel 2.5 rules, which came in a few years ago, basically make it a lot more expensive from a capital point of view to structure securitizations. And an interview with the head of Basel Committee published in Monday's paper revealed that they are looking seriously at backing away from the severity of those rules. The idea is basically to give a kickstart to the European securitization market. It's interesting, isn't it, Patrick, that securitizations were blamed as one of the main sources of contagion in the crisis. And we are seeing perhaps this is the first sign of the pendulum swinging back. Yeah, absolutely. We're quite surprised, I think, that the Basel Committee does seem to be recognising that maybe they've gone too far with the rules. And I think the the key question will be what should securitizations look like in future. As I said in our interview, Stefan Ingves, who's the head of the Buzz Committee, was saying there's nothing wrong with securitizations in themselves. Implicitly, he was saying as long as they are structured correctly, so they shouldn't be too high risk, there shouldn't be too complex tranches, there shouldn't be regulators generally feel about the slicing and dicing of securitizations into more complicated derivatives. I suspect that's going to be less popular. So I think simple plain vanilla stuff is going to be the key. That's interesting. Shall we move on to Italy now? Rachel, can you tell us about the intrigue in your world? We've had a situation where we've seen the chief executive of Intesa San Paolo, Italy's largest retail bank, 
quit very dramatically on Sunday night after a clash with Italian shareholders. Of course, we saw perhaps a slightly similar situation two years ago when Alessandro Profumo, then the chief executive of Unicredit, quit quite as dramatically um, when he clashed with Italian shareholders. Rumors of Enrico Cucchiani, the former CEO's exit, started early last week, which is when we at the Financial Times reported it, when the rumors came out. But it has happened with amazing speed, leaving a lot of questions about the stability of the Italian system and the power of the banking foundations who were behind his exit. It raises questions in the mind of outsiders. What does this tell us about the bank? Is the bank in okay shape? We've got a situation with all the Italian banks. We'll speak of a general point first that there have been two years of crippling recession in Italy. That's following a decade of economic stagnation. In between those periods, we had the Eurozone sovereign crisis, which really hit the Italian banks because the widening spreads hit the value of their huge sovereign bond portfolios. Intesa, for example, has about $60 billion in Italian sovereign debt. Amongst Italian banks, though, Intesa has done better, certainly, than mid-tier banks, such as the scandal hit Monte dei Paschi Siena, Banco Popolare di Milano here in Milan. But what we have seen is that it has had non-performing loans increasing, and what long-time managers at the bank were saying was that Mr. Cucchiani, who came from the insurance world, was not putting in place a strategy which was sufficiently robust or sufficiently clear indeed to show them the bank a way out of the economic woes that are besetting Italy. Interesting. Do we have a sense who his replacement will be? Yes, he is going to be replaced by Carlo Messina. Mr. Messina has been a general manager at the bank. He was previously the CFO. He's been at Intesa since something like 1992. He was very close to Corrado Passera, the very high-profile former chief executive that came before Mr. Cucchiani and then left to join the technocratic government of Mario Monti. Mr. Messina is very well-known within Intesa. He's very liked by the Italian shareholders of these banking foundations, which are very powerful. The question over Mr. Messina, of course, is, is he sufficiently independent from the needs of the Italian foundations? And will the bank be able to make really robust changes about governance, for example, and about possibly cutting costs, which are two big issues in the Italian banking sector at the moment? There's a couple of things I would add on that. I completely agree with you, Rachel, on the question really of divided loyalties, I suppose. Whether foreign investors in Intesa are going to be heartened by this development is moot, I would say. Clearly, the new man is a foundation man with potentially different priorities. And the other thing to say, I suppose, is that Mr. Cucchiani, for all the shortcomings he might have displayed, was at heart a cost-cutting guy. That's what he had done at Allianz when I first knew him. He rationalised the whole of Allianz's global operations. And if someone with that kind of DNA wasn't able to make the savings that are necessary in Taser, then it doesn't arguably bode well for that happening under a, a non-specialist cost cutter. What do you think, Rachel? Well, I think what Patrick's saying is absolutely on the money. One of the issues within Taser has been the fact that it's got a dual board structure. And there was a lot of speculation that one of the things Mr. Cucchiani wanted to do was to change this dual board structure because the nature of the dual board meant that a lot of people have board seats, which are expensive in many cases. And it's not entirely clear with a dual board whether they're doing a doubly better job, let's say, than if you had a single board. And one of the things Mr. Cucchiani was pushing for was apparently to slim down this board structure, which didn't go down that well with some of the long-standing members of the bank, because one of the 
problems with Intesa, if we can put it that way, is the fact that it has been a merger of a Turin bank and a Milan bank that still is having a little bit of a problem digesting because those two powerful northern centres in Italy are both demanding that the bank is partially located and there are jobs available for people from those two centres. So it sounds like a case of stay tuned. Thanks so much, Rachel. Shall we turn now to Barclays and its rights issue? Yeah, absolutely. It's an interesting time for Barclays. Tuesday is the day when this long-running rights issue winds up. It was launched back in the beginning of August with a pretty long underwriting period, but it's 5.8 billion rights issue and it's due to finish on Tuesday. In many ways, it's a textbook cash call, but in one area, it's showing a potentially interesting new fashion because they have brought in a huge list of advisors on this deal, book runners and underwriters. I think in total there are 14 institutions involved, which is quite extraordinary, especially considering that the issue was pretty discounted relative to the share price at the time that it was launched, near 40%. So there wasn't really any risk of them not getting the money in some way or another. But nonetheless, they have brought in all of these banks to help them. And I think one of the interesting themes that we're looking at at the moment is this whole idea of reciprocity in banking and the extent to which banks seem to be doing this more than they ever used to because in a post-crisis world they want as many friends as they can get among their fellow banks and also in a post-crisis world where regulators are pushing banks to raise fresh capital all the time they would quite like a seat at the table in other banks recapitalization transactions so as we enter in particularly in Europe over the next six months a period where we are likely to see more cash calls Barclays may have got itself a seat at the table for a whole load of others. Sounds like they're making friends and hoping to influence people. Quite so. It'll be very interesting to see how many of those 14 banks reciprocate when they themselves have deals to do. That's it for today. All that's left now is for me to thank Patrick and Rachel and you for listening. Remember, you can keep up with all the latest banking stories on ft.com forward slash banking. Banking Weekly was produced by John Byrne Murdoch. Thank you and goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts.